Hey guys, just before we get started, I wanted to kind of put a swear warning because I realize I do in fact swear a lot and I just kind of want to make sure if any kitties are listening that uh, you should probably stop now if unless you're a mature child. And also I'd like to say, uh, sorry mom, <laughs> let's get started with the episode. Hey guys, welcome back to the Long May She Rain podcast. I'm Aiden, I'm your host for this podcast. So I've got a couple of things to catch you guys up on in uh, my life, because lots of things in the last couple of weeks have kind of gone from zero to 100, like, rather quickly. Um, so it looks like uh, my university, they seem like fairly confident that we're like going to be back in person for uh next year so like that's fun but uh since I moved back from my grandma's I, I'm just I don't really want to live with her anymore so I am gonna go into residence which is gonna be um interesting for sure I'm I'm like kind of nervous about it because I've like never lived in a residence I imagine it's like similar to an apartment building but like I don't know I'm just like kind of like wigged out about it because you know all, all my like expectations of like college and university come from like movies and tv shows and like residences like never always seem like great because like I'm not much of a partier I'm not an alcohol drinker I thought I was gonna die after one shot <laughs> of uh I forget what kind of liquor it was but I, I thought I was gonna die <laughs> because like I I have like a general fear of throwing up and that's what happened it was just yeah so I'm just like really uncomfortable with like the idea of like residence but I hope it's gonna be fun because you know I'm I'm paying a lot of money <laughs> to go into residence I'm gonna try it for a year you know we're gonna we're gonna see how it goes and if I like it I might you know just keep doing it and you know like pay off uh like the loans for it like when I graduate but you know we'll see how it goes I hope it goes well and I also hope that I'll be able to record in my room or else I don't know where else I'm gonna be able to record I wonder how like soundproof the walls are I hope they're really soundproof um anyway all right what else did I do this week oh I watched this new show on Netflix called The Irregulars uh it's really good. It's like the, oh, I don't really know how to explain it. It's kind of like a Sherlock Holmes supernatural, like Victorian murder mystery thing. It's really good. I'm not going to spoil it, but I, I thought it was really well done personally. Um, and also if, if you know anything about me, I have a gigantic obsession with Tom Holland. I know that's like kind of like basic teenage girl things like, oh, you like Tom Holland, but I, I genuinely do. I think he's a fantastic actor and I admire him so much. And, um, Tom's best friend Harrison Osterfield is in this show and he's got like a lead part and I'm so proud of him because he's gone from being his best friend's assistant on the Marvel movies to having this lead role and he's a genuinely good actor and I'm so proud of him. I loved his character in the show so uh, stream the irregulars for clear skin because it's a really good show. All right, uh, enough about me. On to the topic at hand today. We are discussing Mary, Queen of Scots. No one actually got the clue for this week, so I don't get to shout anyone out this week. Tons of people liked the clue, like on Twitter, but no one got it. I was like, guys, someone has to answer. So no one got it, but if you thought it was Mary, Queen of Scots, congratulations, you're right. Gold star to you. Uh, I'm, I've been wanting to do Mary, Queen of Scots for quite a while, and I thought... Um, since my anniversary for the, the one-year anniversary of this podcast is coming up soon, I thought I'd do part one now, and then in two weeks when my uh, anniversary comes up, I'd do part two. So I hope you guys are excited for that. I'm also doing a bonus episode where I answer you guys' questions. So, uh, like, get those in, like, find the tweet, or I might 
you know, send out another tweet so you guys can send me more questions. I've got quite a few questions, more than I thought I would have. But, um, yeah, alright, so let's get into it, guys. Alright, so Mary Queen of Scots was born on December 8th, 1542, to King James V of Scotland and his French wife, Marie de Guise. Now, of course, Mary being born on December 8th makes her a Sagittarius, and I love Sagittariuses. I live with two Sagittariuses, both my father and my brother are Sagittariuses. Also, uh, I believe... I, f- I feel like Lindsay's gonna kill me if I get this wrong, but I'm fairly certain she's a Sagittarius. Lindsay, if you're listening to this, I'm so sorry if I got your sign wrong, but I'm fairly certain you're a Sagittarius. Anyway, uh, but there's like there's like a stark difference between Sagittarius men, which is what I live with, and women. <laughs> like I talked about with in my uh, Catherine of Aragon episode, she's a Sagittarius too. Um, they're like energetic and they have a magnetic personality which mary totally had and to be honest it was kind of like her downfall because she had terrible taste in men we're gonna get to that but she did um the problem was like men loved her like a lot so i guess it's kind of like a force of habit with sagittarius's also one thing i always remember with sagittarius's is that they liked traveling like a lot i couldn't really find anything about mary like having an interest in traveling but she definitely did a lot of traveling in her life if that's like any consolation whether like she wanted to or not anyway um so before we actually get into mary i actually have some like background context history that I need to uh, tell you guys about to set up the world and, you know, a bit of stuff about her mom and dad. So her dad, as I said, was uh, King James V of Scotland. And um, he had become king when he was about 17 months old. He was like barely, barely <laughs> uh, two years old when he became king. And he was kind of a meh king for most of his life. I wouldn't necessarily say he was bad at being a ruler, but his early reign wasn't really uh, great considering he was, you know, a child. Especially when he got kidnapped by some, like, Scottish nobles when he was, like, really young and they, like, distracted him from, like, being an effective ruler for, like, years by showering him with gifts and, you know, pretty girls. Um, you know, I actually think he he fathered his first bastard child when he was, like, 15 and, like, that's, like, how, how it was for, like, the first few years of his reign and after like a couple of years of being controlled he eventually did get free from these scottish nobles who had kidnapped him and he was able to rule on his own and uh this also gave him like a huge distrust for the nobility and in turn the nobility also started to hate the monarchy which would end up continuing into mary's reign like it was a huge bleed through now, when James got into power, he married for the first time to a French pr- princess. He n- married uh, Princess Madeline, who was the daughter of our lovely Queen Claude, who we've done an episode on, and uh, King Francis I's favorite daughter. Uh, now, if you remember from um, Claude's episode, she had poor health, and unfortunately, uh, so did her daughter Madeline. And uh, if you know anything about Scotland, uh, the weather there isn't great. And, uh, unfortunately the weather was hard on dear Madeline and she died like seven weeks after getting to Scotland, which was really sad. Um, after all this, James, he still wanted to be allied with France. Like he was still very keen on keeping, uh, the French alliance. So after Madeline died, Francis I, he wasn't exactly keen to send another one of his daughters to Scotland to die. In fact, he hadn't even wanted to send Madeline there in the first place, but he still wanted Scotland as an ally, so Francis suggested a young woman named Marie de Guise. Uh, She was a very well-connected and rich noble, French noblewoman, 
Uh, now, fun fact about Marie. Uh, before James asked for her, her hand in marriage, Henry VIII, who was on the hunt for wife number four after our girl Jane Seymour died, um, Marie was actually one of the brides he was looking at to become his fourth, wi fourth wife. And when she found out about the fact that Henry was basically headhunting her, uh, she said this to him when he tried to, like, start courting her. She said, I may be a big woman, but I have a very little neck, <laughs> which is ooh, super shady. If you remember from the Anne Boleyn episode, it's a reference to something Anne said the day before she was executed. And I don't know how she actually would have known this. I don't know if it was like public knowledge that she had said this before she died, but it doesn't matter <laughs> because Henry, like, he backed off. He was like, all right. Uh, and I... Uh, King Francis accepted James James's proposal for Marie instead, and he, it was actually really cool of Francis. He actually gave Marie a dowry, which was really nice. And and you know Marie traveled to Scotland and became queen. Now I'm gonna skip over James and Marie's like couple year baby making problems for the most part, uh, because basically the point is they had a lot of issues having children until finally Mary was born. And when Mary was born, her dad was actually on campaign fighting the English because James's mother was Margaret Tudor, and she was an English princess and Henry VIII's sister. And when Margaret died the year before, in 1541, Scotland and England ended up going to war after, like, a lot of tensions had been boiling up. Now, this connection to the English throne through her grandmother, Margaret Tudor, will be important later. Trust me. Um... Anyway, uh, James went to fuck up some Englishmen, and at the same time, Mary was only a few days old. She had never met her father, uh, and this is important because not too long after he set off, before Mary was born, uh, he died at the Battle of Solway Moss. Now, no one is 100% sure what killed James at this fight. Some think he might have caught in a a fever, which I totally don't blame him for because it was the middle of December in fucking Scotland, uh, so it must have been cold. Um, another theory that is suggested is that he got sick from some contaminated water and caught some sort of disease. Um, but what's really interesting about James's death is his supposed last words. I'm not really sure how true this is, but we're still going to talk about it. Now, when he got word that Mary had been born, um, I'm going to try and say this in my best Scottish impression. Here's what he said when he heard Mary had been born. It came with a lass, and it will gang with a lass. <laughs> I'm sorry, it was awful. Uh, now, I bet you're wondering, what the fuck is this dude talking about in his uh, wise Scottish words? Well, uh, fun fact about Mary's family, uh, the Stuart dynasty of Scotland had actually gained the throne when Robert the Bruce's son... Uh, died with no children, and Robert's, Robert the Bruce's daughter, Marjorie, and her husband, Walter Stewart, became the senior line. And Marjorie's son, Robert, became King Robert II. So basically what he was saying as he was dying was that the Stuart dynasty had started with a woman and that it would end with a woman. Now, why did he say this? Like, it's a pretty random thing to say on your deathbed. Um, and we're not even exactly sure if he said it. Uh, we only know about these last words because it was written down, like, way later by this dude named John Knox. And we'll get to why John Knox may have done this uh, in part two. But, you know, keep John Knox's name in mind for future reference. 
anyway, uh, back to Mary. So, uh, after her father died, and after saying his weird Scottish words, uh, at the tender age of a week old, Mary was officially named Queen of Scotland, but she wasn't formally crowned until the next year when she was about nine months old, um, creeping up into ten months old. Now, <laughs> to be honest, I would, I would, pay to see what this coronation was like because obviously like a baby being the head of state is like weird and based on what i read about mary's coronation it sounds like it would have been like pretty funny to watch so she was crowned at sterling castle and her mother held her throughout the whole ceremony because you know she couldn't hold herself up because she was like nine months old and when it was time to sit on the throne she sat on her mother's knee and at the same time when the bishop uh who was performing the ceremony gave little baby mary her scepter and orb she was like really happy to touch it, like, she reached out to it, and the nobles who were there at her coronation, like, took it as a good sign that Mary would be a good ruler someday, but to be honest, I think she was just a baby who was like, ooh, shiny, <laughs> so she touched it, and to be honest, I think this is, like, a universal rule with, like, everyone, like, if you see something shiny, like an Orban Scepter, like, you gotta, you gotta touch it, like, who, who wouldn't touch it, I just don't think this is a limited phenomenon to babies, but <laughs> she touched it. Uh, anyway, now that Mary was officially crowned, she needed a regent, because obviously no one was going to be taking orders from a nine-month-old baby. At least, you know, not in an official sense. Uh, so it was decided that James Hamilton, the Earl of Arran, who was next in line if Mary died, would be appointed as Mary's regent. But boy, did this dude fuck it up so fast. Oh my god. So there were two factions while Mary was a kid. There was the Earl of Arran's Protestant supporters, and then there were the supporters of Catholicism which was the Beaton family. Now, behind everyone's back, the Earl of Arran decided it would be best for Scotland to ally with England, and behind everyone's back, he signed this document called the Treaty of Greenwich. I believe it's pronounced Greenwich. It's spelled Greenwich, but I'm pretty sure it's Greenwich. Anyway, basically, it promised that baby Mary, when she turned 10, would move to England and be raised by Henry VIII, which, well, that doesn't sound like fun, and one day she would eventually marry his son, Edward. Um... And the countries would, like, become united through them. But the catch was that they had to end their alliance with France. Now, the Scottish were obviously suspicious of this. The last time they had trusted the English, uh, a couple hundred years before, they had been invaded. And they were still mega salty about the whole thing. And uh, the other Catholic lords were fairly pro-French, uh, as was Mary's mom since she was, you know, French. Uh, eventually, uh, Marie... Mary's mom was able to kick the Earl of Arran out of the Regency, and she took full control and ended the Treaty of Greenwich before it got too bad. And to say that Henry VIII didn't take being rejected by the Scottish well would be kind of an understatement. Um, immediately after the Treaty of Greenwich was suspended, he launched a war called the Ruffwing, which is a polite name that uh, this dude named Walter Scott came up with uh, to describe this war, but it was really just Henry trying to burn Scotland to the fucking ground. Um... <laughs> Henry, he didn't really need to win this war at all. All he needed to do was, like, burn shit and kill people, and that's exactly what he was going to do. Now, this lasted for about five years until Henry died, uh, but the war still continued with, like, a little less intensity under the Duke of Somerset. Now, the rough wooing, it was shit for Scotland, but one interesting thing it did was expose the country to more Protestantism, which would end up screwing Mary over a lot later in life, but we'll get into that later. Okay, so after the worst of the rough ruling, Mary's mother was, like, fairly concerned about her child's safety, and even with Henry VIII dead, they still suffered a pretty bad defeat at the Battle of the Pinky, which, well, it's the Battle of Pink, 
Yeah, Battle of Pinky, which, you know, is a very adorable name for something that caused a ridiculous amount of death. It, it, even though it was just the town, I believe, that was named Pinky, it's still adorable. Anyway, uh, Mary needed, like, a really strong alliance to, like, help her and, like, keep the English off. And there was nowhere better to look for an alliance than with France. Now, Scotland and France actually had a, like, fairly long history of teaming up against the English. In fact, they even had a name for it. They called it the Old Alliance. But uh, it was actually spelled A-U-L-D rather than O-L-D. And basically, whenever they wanted to fuck England over, they, like, called each other up, like, every few centuries, like, hey, girl, hey, you want to screw over the English, like, this century? And they were like, yeah, let's do it. And, you know, this time was, like, no different. Like, they were ready. And uh, King Henry II of France, who you'll remember from various episodes, the Catherine de Medici episode and Claude of France episode, since this is her son. Anyway, uh, he offered up his eldest oldest son, named Francis, as a marriage pr- prospect, and Marie was like, okay, bet. And the marriage treaty was officially signed, so that one day Mary would be Queen of France when uh, her husband Francis succeeded to the throne. And this was like a massive score for any nation. I mean, Francis. France uh and but particularly for Scotland this was like a huge deal now once the marriage treaty was signed King Henry II he decided to send it like a few ships to Scotland to come and pick Mary up and bring her to France which is like it's weird because you know she could have just come in her own ships like Scotland has ships but I guess Henry thought you know, like, only the best ships for my future daughter-in-law. Uh, we also can't forget, like, what an extravagant dude, like, Henry II was. Plus, he probably thought of Scotland as this, like, backwater hillbilly country. So maybe he was like, yeah, no, this girl needs French ships. She can't come here in Scottish ships. Like, what if they, like, sink on the way? <laughs> anyway, now, Mary was loaded on those ships in August of 1548, so she would have been about, like, six-ish, and she was accompanied by her governess, Janet Fleming, who was actually Mary's illegitimate half-aunt, like, her uh, father was this woman's half-brother. And uh, speaking of illegitimate siblings, uh, two of Mary's half-brothers also came with her as escorts. I believe they were, like, teenagers at the time, so it was, like, perfectly acceptable. Uh, but the most interesting group to follow her to France was her ladies-in-waiting. And they're pretty famous because they're nicknamed the Four Marys because they were, in fact, all named Mary. <laughs> because apparently there's no creativity. They were named Mary Seaton, Mary Beaton, Mary Fleming, and Mary Livingston. Now, I can't imagine hanging out with four other girls also named Eden. No, I've, I've actually had things happen like this to me before since i have a traditionally male name most of the aidens i know happen to be boys and one year in high school i actually got stuck in an english class with basically basically all the other aidens in in my tiny like town like uh, how many of us were there there were like i think i actually think there were four of us so we were <laughs> we were the four aidens i was the only girl though and in class it was like confusing <laughs> so in order to like point me out specifically they would refer to me in english class as girl aiden if like the teacher wanted to call on me i imagine our mary mary queen of scots had to refer to all of her friends like by their last names because there's no way anyone would be able to keep that straight like if you were like hey mary bring me that and they'd be like me 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 <laughs> it must have been tough for our dear Mary to keep all her Mary friends straight. <laughs> anyway, so Mary 
Queen of Scots, uh, rolls up to French court circa 1548, and she's greeted by her grandmother, Antoinette de Guise. And, you know, this is actually a very important relationship for Mary because her grandmother was basically the only close family she had left in France. Now, when she meets, like, all of French court, she is a fucking hit right off the bat. Like, I mean, she was she was this cute little five- or six-year-old, and, like, everyone loved her. Now, while we're here talking about that, let's actually talk about what she looked like, because even though uh, Mary is super famous, I don't really think anyone actually thinks about what she looks like, and, like, what, actually, what she sounded like, and, you know, what she was like as a person. In media, in media, she's often misrepresented, and even though I love the TV show Rain, it definitely missed the mark in terms of looks on uh, Mary, Queen of Scots, even though Adelaide Kane, lovely, beautiful person, doesn't look like what Mary looked like, though. (laughs) So, uh, Mary's most famous feature, in my opinion, was her, like, red-gold hair, which she almost definitely inherited from her English Tudor heritage. Other than that, she had, like, nice pale skin, dark brown eyes, and every account from, like, every diplomat writing down what she looked like said that she was, like, so captivating and nice, and she was just the sweetest kid ever. And I also have to mention, she grew up to be, like, so fucking tall as an adult like she was like almost six feet tall like she was like 5'11 like at full full ground which is like model height today which it's it's crazy that she got this tall because this was like not normal for women back then and she probably inherited this from her mother who i have read was also very tall when marie was referring to herself as a big woman she meant she was very tall i'm fairly certain her mother was almost six feet tall as well so like that's it's crazy. Um, before we move on, I want to talk about Mary's education because it's like, it's, I mean, it's okay. Like compared to like Queen Elizabeth the first, it's, it's not much of a comparison. It's not like Mary wasn't bright or anything. Like she was super smart, but her education was like, okay. But like, um, one of the things I read about it, she took Italian, Spanish, and Latin lessons lessons, uh, but her best languages were Scots and French, uh, which she spoke fluently, by the way. Uh, she was also very good at music and danced very well. Like, she was more, like, of an arts girl and less of, like, a real, like, academic like Elizabeth was. But, you know, that's still good for her. Like, there's nothing wrong with being interested in the arts. That was just, like, her vibe. All right, so let's talk about her life at French court because, gosh, it was, it was bougie, guys. It was nice. She was treated very well since, after all, you know, she was, like, a a queen. Although there were some issues uh, with how people thought she should be treated at court. Like, no one really knew if she should be, like, above everyone else or if she should be treated more like uh, some of the other French princesses. And that was, like, a whole thing that I won't get into. Uh, anyway, she was raised with King Henry II's daughters in the royal nursery. She was actually closest with uh, uh, King Henry II's daughter, Princess Elizabeth, who actually became a lifelong friend, even after they both ended up moving on in their adult lives. Which is nice. I'm glad she had some close female friends. Now, uh, before we move on to two of, Mar- to two of Mary's most important relationship- relationships at French courts, the first being her husband and her mother-in-law, I actually have this interesting story that I wanted to include about Mary's governess, Lady Fleming. So, Lady Fleming was this, like, hot Scottish woman, and she got into bed with King Henry II, and 
because uh, if you've listened to uh, the Catherine de Medici episode, uh, you know that Henry fucked anything that moved, including sexy Lady Fleming. And, you know, normally mistresses of the king were generally very discreet, like Diane de Poitiers, which we talked about in the Catherine de Medici episode. You know, everyone knew who the king was sleeping with, but you didn't, like, shout it to the hills that it was happening. But Lady Fleming, she gave no fucks, okay? And when she got pregnant by the king, oh my gosh, she let everyone know who the father was. And they had to, like, send her back to Scotland in disgrace. And after the birth, like, Lady Fleming was like, hey, can I come back to France, like, with my son? And they were like, yeah, no. (laughs) You're not coming back here, you whore. So (laughs) Mary had to get a new French governess. And, um... You might remember, uh, Lady Fleming had a daughter who was one of Mary's four Marys. Like, Mary Fleming was Janet Fleming's daughter. And I can't imagine how fucking embarrassing that must have been for Mary Fleming to see this happen to her mom. And, like, Mary, Queen of Scots, she must have been, like, very embarrassed as, like, a little kid to, like, watch her governess uh, get sent away in disgrace. For that, since Mary was, like, very religious, it must have been awkward. Um, however, Mary, sorry, Janet Fleming being sent away wasn't the only casualty in Mary's Scottish household. Pretty much all of her Scottish household was, uh, sent back because the French didn't really like her Scottish attendants because they thought they were, like, dirty and uncivilized. So, like, right after, like, Janet Fleming was left, sorry, right after Janet Fleming left, uh, they basically use that as an excuse to entirely replace Mary's Scottish household. And, like, this was kind of, like, the beginning of her transformation into a French woman, which she would be very famous for for the rest of her life. Okay, so now that we've learned about how Mary was raised, let's get into, like, the two most important relationships that she had at French court. Those being with her mother-in-law, Catherine de Medici, and her husband, Francis. And we're going to start with Catherine first. Now, generally, Catherine and Mary's relationship, it's, it's never portrayed well in, like, any media that I've ever seen. You know, Catherine, as I talked about in her episode, she's painted as evil and jealous and, like, she hates Mary, which is not the whole truth. You know, as I said in Catherine's episode, I don't think she hated Mary directly because Mary was a little girl, but I do believe she hated how popular she was because Catherine, she had had a rough time at French court and she was probably annoyed about like how well Mary was getting on. And she was also probably annoyed with how her husband Henry treated Mary versus her and her children. Now, Catherine, like she spent years resenting her husband. And suddenly this, like, little girl comes in and her husband is all nice as kid and treats her better than her and her own children. And not to mention, Mary is a queen by birth and Catherine ha- has been, like, scraping and clawing for power her whole life. And because power made Catherine feel safe. And Mary was a threat to that, not only as a future queen, but as a wife to her son. And I'm not saying her motives of not liking Mary are okay, but you can, you just can kind of see where Catherine is coming from and like why she has a bit of resentment towards Mary. However, if Mary and Catherine were ever united on one thing, it was Mary's future boothing, Francis. Now, This Francis is a very interesting figure in Mary's life because I don't think he's talked about nearly enough when discussing Mary. He's definitely my favorite of Mary's husbands because, you know, he was sweet and unproblematic. And yes, I did say husbands because there are more men after this. But, you know, we'll get to that. So let's talk about Francis because he is an improvement on his namesake and grandfather. Because we all know how much I don't like. 
Francis the first. Now, uh, our dear sweet baby Francis, he was about he was about fourteen months younger than Mary, so there was there was a little bit of an age gap, but it's not that bad. It's she could have been married to like a fifty year old man, so like having a husband who's only fourteen months younger than you is pretty good start for the time period. Now, uh little baby Francis, he did not enjoy the best health his whole life. He was sick a lot. He also happened to be uh, very short while Mary was very tall, which must have been awkward <laughs> when she suddenly sprouted. Uh, but it's okay, because here on the Long May She Rain podcast, uh, we stand our short kings and our tall queens. Um, also, I gotta mention this poor boy. He stuttered, like, a lot. Like, he must have been worse than me. Like, I stutter a little bit. You guys can definitely hear it <laughs> in all my episodes. I have trouble with speaking. Um, so I relate to Francis in a lot of ways. Um, and he was a shine. He was a nervous kid. Now, compare that to Mary. She was popular and beautiful and well-spoken. And, you know, you just kind of have, like, an odd pair with them. And you would think, you know, they wouldn't get along and they wouldn't be a good match. But it was actually the opposite. Mary loved Francis. And I think that um, Mary definitely made Francis, like, more confident than he would have been otherwise, which is a good thing. Also, um, you know, I was actually kind of curious about their sign compatibility, because, like, I w I'm, like, kind of... You guys know I'm into astrology. Um, so I googled their sign compatibility, and it's kind of like a mixed bag. Like, some aspects of, like, Sagittarius's and Capricorn's, like, mesh melt mesh well. Francis is a Capricorn, by the way. Uh, and some of their personality traits don't mesh well, but that's... doesn't really matter. They had a good relationship, which is the point. Um, I actually even have this quote from Henry II, Francis' father, uh, about the relationship when he says, From the very first day they met, my son and she got him well as if they had known each other for a very long time, which is probably the n nicest thing that ever came out of Henry's mouth. <laughs> And I think it says a lot about Mary and Francis as a couple, and I am of the opinion that they did love each other. Maybe not, like, as romantically as they, like, should have, but they were definitely, like, friendship soulmates, and, like, they were very well matched uh, as, you know, arranged engagements go in this time. Like, it could have been so much worse. So, Mary spent, like, years in France with Francis, like, waiting to be the Dauphine, like, to eventually marry Francis, and, you know, to move on to be Queen of France one day. But to be honest, you know, she spent a lot of her childhood worrying that she would lose Scotland, and that she wouldn't be a queen twice, she'd only be a queen once. Um, and the people who were threatening her throne were Scottish Protestants, which was an issue because... Uh, you know, her only value at French court was the fact that she was the Queen of Scotland, and practically, like, every five minutes during her childhood, like, her mother was in danger, and they had to spend, send uh, French troops to defend Scotland, you know, which was costly to the French, and made her feel like more of a burden than she was an asset. Um, luckily for her, uh, through most of her childhood, she had the allyship of her um, two uncles. She had two Guise uncles, and you know, as much as they were supportive of her, they also used their niece as a source of power in the French court, which, you know, actually helped Mary's position, but, like, they were definitely still using her. Um, now, in early 1558, one of Mary's uncles, like, he actually played a huge role in capturing the city of Calais from the English, which was a huge deal. Like, the French hadn't had Calais in, like, centuries and they were like jazzed to have it back and you know king henry ii he was he was feeling good 
about the future. So he was like, all right, kids, time to get married. And then they did. So uh, Francis and Mary got married on April 24th, 1558 at Notre Dame Cathedral, which is so cool. You know, it must have been awesome. From what all the accounts I read of this wedding, it was, like, fucking lit. Uh, I read there was a huge party. You know, the whole family was there. And one funny story I actually read about their reception was when Mary and Francis, they were supposed to have, like, their first dance together, you know, as is tradition in most weddings. Um, King Henry actually insisted that Mary dance with him because super tall Mary looked kind of funny next to short Francis. And, you know, to save everyone some embarrassment, uh, Mary danced with Henry, which, you know, must have been flattering for her that her father-in-law wanted to dance with her, which was, like, pretty sweet. Um, also, fun fact about Mary's wedding, she actually chose to wear white to her wedding, which was, like, fairly unconventional back then. Like, with wedding dresses, you could really wear any color you wanted. Like, if you wanted to wear purple to your wedding, that would have been, like, fine. Uh, it was just basically whatever, the best dress that you had is what you were going to wear to your wedding wear to your wedding, but Mary chose to wear white because, you know, it symboled purity and rebirth, which was, you know, a pretty good message to send, uh, to France as its future queen. Now, uh, lucky for everyone, uh, there was no bedding ceremony for the 14 and 15-year-old because that would have been fucking weird. Um, I'm glad, uh, Henry II, he didn't force, uh, Mary and his son to go through what his father did on his wedding night. Uh, for more on that, go listen to the Catherine de' Medici episode. Uh, now, speaking of bedding ceremonies and sex in general, uh, we have no idea if Mary and Francis, like, ever slept together while they were married. Um, some people think that maybe they did, they just didn't, weren't lucky enough to get pregnant. Uh, some people say they never did, and they were gonna wait till they got a little older to do it. Um, I have my own thoughts on this. I think they were aware of how much was riding on their marriage, and that it was an important alliance, so I figured they must have, like, tried at least once or twice for, like, some peace of mind on it, and, like, they were gonna wait like, a couple more years to, like, maybe actually try more, but I think that, like, after that, they decided to, like, just, like, chill out <laughs> and, like, you know, wait a couple of years. Now, moving on, uh, one big thing that did happen in November 1558 uh, that impacted Mary hugely, like, this was a big deal, was that, uh, Queen Mary I of England, also known as Bloody Mary, had died uh, with no children, and her half-sister Elizabeth, who was now Queen Elizabeth I, had succeeded to the throne, which majorly pissed off most of Catholic Europe because Elizabeth was Protestant. Now, many people thought that Mary uh, had a better claim uh, to the English throne than Elizabeth, since not only was Mary considered legitimate, but she was Catholic. And it's here where the rivalry between Mary and Elizabeth, like, truly begins, because it was always a sticking point to Elizabeth that Mary had a better claim than she did. Um, in fact, that same year, King Henry started calling Mary and his son the rightful king and queen of England, and even had their coat of arms added, like, he changed it and added the English coat of arms. Now, I'm not sure how Mary felt about this, uh, but I think she had learned at this point, uh, which is a thing we all know about Henry II, is that women don't tell Henry no. So <laughs> she probably just let him do it because, you know, Henry was really excited about the prospect of his son and daughter, daughter-in-law ruling like half of Europe someday. So let's just let Henry have his fun, I guess. <laughs> um... Okay, let's get to the fun part of the episode where I tell you how Henry II died. We've talked about this before. So, uh, Mary and Francis can finally uh, reach their destiny of becoming king and queen of France because we're all sick of Henry at this point, aren't we? 
Yeah. So there was a huge joust being held in 1559 for Princess Elizabeth, a.k.a. Francis' little sister, because she was about to be married to the King of Spain. And Mary, Catherine de' Medici, and Henry, they were all watching the joust. And Henry decided he wanted to participate in this joust because he loved jousting. It was like a thing that he really loved. But the problem with jousting is it's a really, really dangerous sport. Um, I have seen it done live. And it does not look fun to do. Like, it looks terrifying. Like, you have to be really brave to do it. And I can't imagine what Henry was thinking when he decided, yeah, I want to do this. So, basically what Henry does is he challenges one of his courtiers to a match. And the guy is like, mm, no way, I'm jousting you, you're the king. And Henry was like, yeah, I am the king, joust me, bro. And the guy was like, okay. <laughs> so, they get on their horses, charge at each other with their lances. And you know the object of jousting is to, like, knock your opponent off his horse or, or at the very least hit certain body parts to score points. But that's not what ended up happening. So, um, this guy's lance hit Henry in the face, like, directly. And he falls off his horse, and when everyone goes to, like, check on him they noticed that like a piece of the lance has splintered off and like went straight through henry's eye like he's alive uh so they still had hope that he was gonna live um i can't imagine how shocked mary was when she saw that happen i'm sure mary was like comforting francis because you know after all they were still teenagers and like woefully unprepared to be rulers not to mention that's his father no matter how he feels about him he's dying he must be upset um Meanwhile, through all this, Henry's, you know, like, lying in bed. They got the splinter out, but it pierced his brain, and the doctors are, like, pretty sure he's gonna die. And, I God, I really hope Francis got his last goodbye to his father, because, like, that must have sucked. And, you know, just like that, Henry II, he died, and suddenly, out of nowhere, Francis becomes Francis II, and Mary, Queen of Scots, is now also Mary, Queen of France, at the ripe old age of, like... 16-ish, and it's about to go down, guys. Okay, so now I really wish I could give you guys, like, a more detailed account of Mary and Francis' time as uh, king and queen of France, but, like, to be honest, there's not really much to say about Francis and Mary's reign because it was really short, but, you know, I'm gonna try and give you guys, like, the highlights about what happened to them while they were king and queen of France, but it's, like, it's really not that interesting, but I'm still gonna tell you guys. Now, uh, first, they were crowned on September 21st, 1559. Uh, they were 16 and 15, respectively, when they were crowned. And, oh my god, I feel so bad for Francis, like, reading the accounts from his coronation because he was so nervous. And uh, while the crown was being put on his head, he found it, like, so heavy. Like, they had to uh, hold it over his little head because, like, he was 15 and the crown was heavy and he was, like, really nervous and he was worried it was going to fall over. So that was a whole thing. Now, even though Francis was 15 and, like, well old enough to not need a regent, um, I think Francis, he was well aware he needed help. Like, he was not ready for this. Um, but since his mother was, like, in deep mourning for his father, um, she didn't she couldn't really be regent, like, she wasn't emotionally available for that, so Mary's uncle, uncles, uh, the Guises kind of took over the regency and, like, split it between them, um, Mary's uncle, uh, Francis, he became the head of the army, and her uncle Charles became the head of finance, justice, and diplomacy, which was totally fine with Mary's husband, Francis, and Mary was probably fine with it, too, but everyone else at French court, mm, not so cool of it. 
cool with it. Uh, they accused the brothers of taking advantage of Francis' youth to gain power, which was totally true. Like, that was not a lie. That's exactly what they were doing. Uh, not to mention um, Mary's uncles. They were very, very Catholic. Uh, they went very hard on the anti-Protestant thing. And they, like, they were diehard Catholics. Now, the people who were most unhappy with this was this dude named Antoine. Uh, King of Navarre, uh, who was next in line if Francis and all of his brothers died with no children. Now, he was super, super Protestant, and he hated the Guises, as did his brother, Louis, Prince of Condé. Uh, and they likely, it's not proven, but they probably had something to do with this thing called the Amboise Conspiracy, which was basically a plan to replace Francis with a Protestant king, which probably would have been Antoine. If they had the chance. Now, uh, the government luckily got word of the plot and decided, okay, maybe we've got to, you know, chill out a bit on the whole anti-Protestant thing. So Francis signed some stuff to ease up on the Protestants. Uh, still, the thing was, uh, the conspirators who were trying to depose uh, the Guise uncles, they didn't know that Francis had done this. So when the plan went ahead anyway, it failed spectacularly. Um, after this, the government government kind of realized that the mass punishment of Protestants was, you know, maybe not such a good idea, so they signed some stuff to, like, give Protestants, like, more room to breathe, uh, and they even freed some religious prisoners, and you know, I'm totally sure this question of religion in France will never come up again! <laughs> Listen to the Catherine de' Medici episode for that story, because it's wild. Um, so, not too long after the whole people tried to kidnap my husband debacle, uh, Mary had some other issues going on, mainly Scotland and her mother, again, because, you know, those Protestants in Scotland always trying to kill her mother. Now, at this point, her mother had been ruling Scotland on her behalf for about a decade or so now, and it wasn't going well uh, at the moment because of Protestants. Now, a group of Scottish lords was trying to overthrow Marie because she was Catholic and French, and they hated those two combined. And currently, she was surrounded at Dunbar Castle. So, she had to write to Francis and Mary being like, Hey, uh, could you, like, send some troops here? Because these guys are definitely going to kill me for sure. And Mary and Francis were like, Don't worry, help is on the way, Mom. So, they sent some troops her way. Uh, luckily, thank God, they were able to win, and Marie was fine. But, I'm, oh, God, I'm sure Mary was so nervous for her mother. Like, realistically, she could have, like, been brutally murdered, which would have just been awful for Mary. Now, Dear listeners, I hope that story warmed your heart because, God, it's about to get so much worse for Mary from here on out. Now, as I mentioned before, uh, Francis's health, it had never been the best. And it was like that with most of Catherine de' Medici's children. The only kid who really escaped uh, poor health in her life was Francis's little sister, uh, Marguerite, who was not only the most attractive of all of Catherine de' Medici's children, but she also was the healthiest. Uh, anyway, uh, Francis ended up getting super sick in November 1560 uh, when he started complaining of an earache. And after a few days, the doctors were, like, not sure he was going to make it. So Mary and Catherine, they kind of, like, came together and they nursed him at his bedside. And unfortunately, uh, on December 23rd, uh, Francis died, uh, probably in a lot of pain uh, from an abscess in his ear. Uh, which, uh, sucks because, y you know, it's kind of interesting how, like, earaches are, like, a minor inconvenience <laughs> these days. I actually have 
I believe I have uh, tinnitus right now because, like, my ears have been hurting for, like, a year. I've probably talked about this before. Uh, but it's, like, a minor inconvenience for me. Like, it hurts a lot, but, like, it's not going to kill me. But, like, Francis died from this. Like, I can't imagine how much pain he must have been in when he died. Now, Mary, oh, my gosh, she was so devastated when Francis died. Francis was her husband and her best friend. She loved him so much. And I'm sure it killed a little part of her to know that... He was gone, this dude that she grew up with, like, for, like, well over a decade, uh, was gone. Not to mention just a month ago, she had gotten word that, uh, her mother had gotten sick and died, and now here she was, in France, an orphan and a widow, all before age 18. And that's, that must have been so much for someone who was so young. Like, Speaking of her mother, she'd only seen her mother, like, twice in, like, ten years. Like, when Marie had, like, had the time to be able to come over to France and see her, she would. But, like, that's just, like, you know, not enough. And, God, it just must have been awful. Now, after Frances's funeral and her mourning period, people were like, well, what happens to her now? Now, legally, she was entitled to stay in France if she wanted to, or maybe everything would depend on her new husband. That's, like, kind of the question everyone was asking themselves. Uh, but she also had the option to return to Scotland if she wanted to, which was definitely not her first choice. She didn't want to go back, so she decided to uh, husband shop first before she decided everything. And her uh, husband shopping eye landed on this dude named Don Carlos of Spain, who probably would have actually been a great husband for her, not to mention uh, Francis' sister, Elizabeth was married to Don Carlos's father, so at least Mary would have felt at home there with her one of her friends there. Uh, but Catherine de Medici, when she heard that Mary was considering Don Carlos as a husband, she didn't think it was a good idea, and the whole thing just like ended up never happening. And this wasn't the end of Catherine's meddling in Mary's husband shopping. In fact, the entire period after. Francis died, Catherine was actually, like, really, really mean to Mary for no reason. Like, she basically kicked Mary out of court. She was like, I don't know uh, where you want to be, but you can't be here. Uh, and Mary had to hang out with her grandmother and uncles because she had nowhere to stay, which sucks. You know, it really annoys me that Catherine did this because, um, well, she did this so she could grab power with her son Charles, who was now the new king. Um, and she did this because remember a second ago when I talked about, like, she wasn't a part of the Regency when, uh, Francis first, uh, became king, and she was kind of, like, trying to remedy those mistakes, and it just really sucks that when Mary needed, like, her surrogate mother the most, she wasn't there, and, ugh, that just sucks. Now, at this point, at this point, I'm sorry, Mary decided that maybe it was time to return to Scotland. Like, she had exhausted efforts to find herself a new husband and go to a foreign country instead of going home, but there was just no doing that at the time, so she decided to go to Scotland and kind of, like, organize herself. Now, there was a bit of a problem with her going back to Scotland. Now, after her mother died, Protestant lords had taken over the regency, but in good news, at the head of this uh, new council was her half-brother James, and he was totally willing to let her come back under certain conditions, like she would accept Protestantism as Scotland's new religion, which Mary was, like, totally fine with as long as she could practice Catholicism in private, which her brother James was also totally fine with. Uh, Mary even agreed that James should be her advisor, which was pretty nice of her. She didn't have to do that, but she did. Um, 
And once all of that was hashed out, she officially set sail for Scotland on the 14th of August, 1561, leaving behind the place she had known for well over a decade, a place she grew up, a place she identified with, and she was pretty much facing a very, very uncertain future, which would terrify me. Now, I think this is a good place to stop part one, but before we go, I wanted to read you guys something. I found this poem that is attributed to Mary. I'm not quite sure if she wrote it, but it's attributed to her, so I'm going to say she wrote it, and it's about uh, leaving France and Francis's death, and I thought you guys might want to hear it uh, so you can like really feel how devastated Mary was when she left France, and all right, here it is. In my sad, quiet song, a melancholy air, I shall look deep and long, at loss beyond compare, and with bitter tears I'll pass my best years. Have the harsh fates, ere now, let such a grief be felt, has a more cruel blow been by Dame Fortune dealt. Then, O my heart and eyes, I shall see his beer lies. In my springtime gladness and flower of my young heart, I feel the deepest sadness of my most grievous hurt. Nothing now my heart can fire but regret and desire. He who was my dearest, already in my plight, the day that shone the clearest for me is the darkest night. There is nothing now so fine that I need make it mine. Deep in my eyes and heart, a portrait has its place which shows the world my hurt in the parlor of face. Pale as when violets fade, true love's becoming shade. In my unwanted pain, I can no more be still, rising time and again to drive away my ill. All things good and bad have lost the taste they had, and thus I always stay, whether in wood or meadow, whether at dawn of day or at evening or at the evening shadow. My heart feels ceaselessly grief for his loss to me. Sometimes in such a place his image comes to me, the sweet smile on his face, up in a cloud I see. Then sudden in the mirror I see his funeral beer. When I lie quietly sleeping upon my couch, I hear him speak to me and I feel his touch. In my duties each day, he is near me always. Nothing seems fine to me unless he is therein. My heart will not agree unless he is within. I lack all perfection in my cruel dejection. I shall cease my song now. My sadness lament shall end, whose burdens I shall show. True love cannot pretend, and though we are apart, grow no less in my heart. Oh my god, that is so sad. I remember when I found this, I was I was crying. I was like seriously crying. Like if this is at, was actually written by Mary like people think it is, like that is like a serious show of emotion for the time period and like oh my god, god. I'm sorry if you got all teared up like I am cuz that is that is such a sweet poem. All right, uh, we're going to end it here. Thank you guys so much for joining me for part one of Mary, Queen of Scots, Scots' Story. I hope you enjoyed it. See you next time. Bye. Hey, guys. Thanks for listening. If you have any suggestions for topics, you can just DM me on Twitter at LongMaceyRain2. The N at the end of rain is replaced with a 2 instead. I'm also available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Anchor, and like a whole bunch of other stuff. Uh, Don't forget to rate and review this podcast on all those platforms. It really actually does help the show so much and it will help me grow my audience. So I would absolutely appreciate it if you guys could do that. All right. uh, Bye.